everybody, welcome back to the best podcast on earth. It's Lit These Days, a podcast about books, and I'm Jessica. I'm Adam. And we're your hosts on this wonderful journey that we call life. For the next hour, we will have your attention up and we'll talk about the books that we finished reading, what we currently are reading, and we give you book recommendations. But first, I feel like we have to talk about our weekends because I had a very... Um, exciting weekend. I yeah. was invited to go into um, a suite to watch the Minnesota Wild hockey game this weekend. And that was really fun. It went into overtime and then went into a shootout. So, and one of the Capitals play, we were playing the Capitals. One of the Capitals scored on themselves, which was just yeah. ridiculous. So that was fun. Amazing. <laughs> Couldn't happen to a better team. Sorry, Caps fans. <laughs> Your son wanted to go to. Costco, of all places, <laughs> for his birthday. Yes. Yes. My least favorite place. I have two of the most hated places, uh, Disney and Costco. It just you don't stand. like Disney? Um, oh, God. I, I Disney. love Disney. <laughs> no, I hate it. Of course, I hated it when it was 14. I don't know. It might be all right now. Mm-hmm. Who knows? I'm never going to go because COVID's never going away. This is true. But so Kobe's not going away so i went to chuck e cheese and costco (laughs) i put like five masks on yeah we they've been wanting to go to chuck e cheese for the longest time we have not gone since pre-pandemic and i hate costco silas my son is not aware of costco but somehow (laughs) became aware of costco through his kindergarten class so we kept asking like hey where do you want what do you want to do for your birthday go to costco he just started saying it one day So what do you want from Costco? Toys. Toys. Okay. All right. We tried to dissuade him because, I mean, they have toys at Costco, but they have more toys in other places. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now he would not. He, he had the resolve. He wanted to go there for his cake. Um, and every single person that I talk to about Costco has the same response. Say so like, hey, my kid wants to go to Costco. Oh, they have really good cakes. Every single person I've talked to says, oh, they have really good cakes. They do have really good cakes. So we went to Costco and it was awful <laughs> like i live in a small town we had to park like a quarter mile away from costco oh in the God. middle of the day like during lunchtime there were no parking spaces i had to get by the stupid membership that i'm never going to use past his birthday yeah <laughs> like, and then we went shopping shopping at the costco Chuck E. cheese was great Chuck E. cheese was fine outside of they got rid of tickets really they got rid of the tickets yeah um we didn't even go to the the place where you turn in your ch- tickets like your tickets go to the card that you swipe to mm-hmm. use the arcade machines uh, and then you go up and they swipe it and they tell you how many points you have and then you can pick out your little knickknacks we didn't even do that the kids didn't even ask because we didn't physically have a whole bunch of tickets mm-hmm. which was tremendously disappointing because i'm really good at the ticket machines and we'll typically get like a ton of tickets but no and they used to have those cool um ticket chomper machines yeah. where you feed it your tickets and it would chomp down and they're all they're all gone oh, that's the best and part. i would say i was like maybe it's maybe it's because of covid but then i was like no that's dumb because you literally touched like the point of chuck e cheese is to touch everything mm-hmm. so i think i think chuck e cheese is in the hole from the pandemic um they probably as a cost cutting measure eliminated that maybe like the at the, when when everything shut down at the beginning of the pandemic, they <laughs> they got in some trouble. I thought this was hilarious, but they started popping up. This new pizza place started popping up on apps for like pa- Pascalino's Pizza or something like that. So people were ordering from this place thinking like, oh, there's a new pizza place. Great. And then Chuck E. Cheese delivery would arrive. And it was like whatever the brand, the like 
house brand pizza that they use. They were using as the name for oh their delivery gosh. service. <laughs> but it was Chuck E. Cheese. But I was like, you can't blame them. The nobody can come into the store. Yeah. <laughs> so they're like literally making no money. So I think that's where the tickets went. Hmm. So interesting. I yeah. think that's funny that they did that. I also think that is um bordering on frauding your customers a little bit. <laughs> Which made me like them even more. I really, I should have ordered. I like their pizza. I should have ordered some pizza off of them. You should have. Let me tell. Yeah. Let me tell my um, Chuck E. Cheese story. So, when I was a kid, I was four four years old when this story happened. When I was four, you could go to Chuck E. Cheese, and there were like tubes in the ceiling that you would just crawl around in, and they had little windows where you could look out and see people in the in the dining area and whatever, and. I have always been bad at directions, and it has not gotten better as I've gotten older, and I've just accepted this about myself. And <laughs> when I was four, I went up into the tubes, and I got lost. I could not figure out how to get out. And so I went to a window, and I saw my dad sitting there, and I'm, like, banging on the window. I'm like, Dad, help me. <laughs> and he can't hear me. Like, there's no way that he can possibly hear me. And then someone pointed toward to me and was like, hey, I think that child is trying to get your attention. And then my dad had to go up into the tubes and help me get out because, and that's <laughs> just the most ridiculous thing that has ever happened to me. That's amazing. That's really awesome. <laughs> uh, yes. Oh man, yeah. Tubes are tubes are gone. They've been gone for a while. Mm. I, I don't remember ever taking the kids and having the having the tubes there. Chuck E. Cheese is no longer Chuck E. Cheese. I'm just going down the hole. Yeah, it's still fun though. Mm. I love playing the arcade games there. They have Galaga. They have a Galaga machine, which is like an old old shoot 'em up arcade machine. But they have a Galaga machine where you can get tickets from it, which is amazing. Interesting. Love that. Okay, let's talk about books. The reason why we're all here. So, I last week was talking about this amazing book, Verity by Colleen Hoover. My wife read it because <gasps> I found it and was like, just loved this book. And she breezed through it very quickly. Did you love it? She really enjoyed it. Um, she wants me to read it, but she doesn't think I'm going to like it. Oh. She wants to read it. So I have, <laughs> she was like, I need you to read it. So I have somebody to, to talk to about it. And I was like, why don't you go record tonight? <laughs> or, um, so I will read it soon so I can, I can discuss it. I can, I can text her about it later. Um, <laughs> she said there was too much sex and I was like, well, uh, then I'm definitely going to like it. Well, I wouldn't, well. There's really not that much sex in it, honestly. I think she was taken aback, and she's not used to this at how explicit it was. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's a little explicit. I will, I'll yeah. give her that one. Yeah, okay, but I loved it. It's, let me tell you why I loved it. So, <laughs> um, I'll explain what the main plot of the story is again. So, this woman named Lowen, she's an author who's barely paying her bills and she gets summoned to this publishing house to have a meeting with her literary agent and then an agent from the publishing house who she doesn't know so she ends up being asked to finish writing a series of novels by an author named verity crawford these are very popular uh very popular books told from a villain's perspective and everyone loves them so um the reason why Lowen has to write the rest of these books is because Verity Crawford has had an accident and she's left physically incapacitated. So Lowen agrees because it 
pays a half a million dollars. And she goes to Verity Crawford's house, which Verity shares with uh, her husband, Jeremy. And Loan goes to the house to see if she can find any outlines of the rest of these books that she's supposed to write. And she ends up coming across Verity's autobiography. And it very graphically details how Verity never wanted her twin daughters and um, how she may or may not have been involved with their deaths. And Verity is in the house. She's in her own bedroom, just kind of laying there because she's physically incapacitated. And um, everything surrounding her is just super creepy because Loan has reason to believe that even though she's supposed to be paralyzed, she's moving around the house and that she can, she sees her at different uh, points in the book. It's very creepy. I'm kind of getting the chills just talking about it. <laughs> and um, yeah, and then Loan starts falling in love with the husband and like, that's a whole thing. And I was sucked in from the moment I started to the moment it ended. But let me tell you, I was not expecting the ending. The whole time you were like, okay, I see what's going on here. Like, I I have a grasp of who's the good guy, who's the bad guy. And then at the end, you're just, the whole thing just flips. And you don't know exactly what happened. So if you like stories where everything's wrapped up in a nice little bow and you don't have to guess at what happened, then um, this story is not for you. However, it's amazing. A five out of five would read again. Awesome. Nice. My wife kept saying as she was reading that, oh, I hope this doesn't end the way I think it's going to because I'm going to hate it. Um, and then it didn't. So she was she was pleased by that. That's good. That's good. So it sounds like there's a mislead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's in like the the last 20 pages where everything just changes. Yeah, interesting. Well, I'm sold on it. I st- <laughs> I won't talk about this book, but I ended up starting another book today cuz I was at at work and had to do a little bit of independent reading. It's like, oh shoot, I forgot to bring a book with me today. <laughs> so, you pull a random one off the shelf. And I'm on this one book at a time deal. Mm-hmm. I guess technically I'm reading two books now, but one's a graphic novel, so I'll finish that. So, once I finish this new book that I surprisingly started, I'll start I'll start Verity. I'm so excited. I also gave it to my boss to read. And now, now that you brought up the fact that your wife thinks it's too explicit, I'm kind of like, ooh, maybe I should not have recommended that. But here we are. So it's a test. <laughs> See how they react. It's not like you were like, here's a copy of, I don't know, 50 Shades Lady of Chatterley's Grey. Lover. See how you like it. Yeah. What are All you? Right, we'll have to see. What are you currently reading? Or no, what did you finish reading? I finished reading Unguarded by scotty pippen nice. um who man did it del- i told you i love uh celebrity memoirs mm-hmm. um i love when they're not gr- they're not sharply written and this one is certainly not sharply written i love when they're gossipy this one is but m- man <laughs> like scotty pippen's been knocked down a couple pegs after reading this one i told you last time about how he like he takes all these shots at michael jordan at the beginning of the book for yeah just being michael jordan like he wasn't the only person on the team that's the thing he keeps coming back to mm-hmm. like he you know he wasn't the only person on the team like this was a team effort um and when phil jackson came in you know we we hadn't won any championships and he started to spread the ball around and treated us as a team and we won um fine but 
everything he returns to after that prologue is about how he's actually as good, if not better, than Michael Jordan. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and it's of not, I mean, there's plenty to critique about Michael Jordan. The guy is like maniacally competitive um i think i told you last time like like reportedly punched a teammate in the face like just very verbally abusive to his teammates and and scotty pippen took issue with that but he doesn't he never returns to that he just takes these slight like he'll say he'll talk about michael jordan doing something amazing and be like but it wasn't that amazing <laughs> like that's essentially what it comes off as like but uh, but uh, i was on the team too and it was great um here's what killed it for me okay so Michael Michael Jordan retires um, the first time. He retires twice. Uh, he gets three championships. He retires. Scottie Pippen is now the captain of the Bulls. Okay. And they're in the playoffs the following year. And during a playoff game, this is, and he says this, like, this will go down. This will be on my tombstone that I did this. Um, it's one of the things he's most famous for. At the end of the game, Phil Jackson tells him, hey, you're going to throw the ball in from the rebound line to Tony Kukoc. He's going to shoot a three-pointer um, so that we can win the game. Like, the game was on the line in the last 1.8 seconds. And he was like, no. No. I'm not going to do that. Like, I should be the one to take the ball in. I'm not going to do it. Refuses. Absolutely refuses. Oh, <laughs> he just sits God. down <laughs> to play the game. Um, this, is, this is how this exchange goes, or at least how he delivers it. Allow me once and for i'm gonna say it all snotty too <laughs> once and for all to set the record straight for one thing i do not consider it the lowest moment of my career i consider it one of the highest believe me or not i don't care very defensive yeah <laughs> during the timeout, in case you don't know phil called for tony to take the last shot the same tony who botched the previous play i was told to throw the ball in bounds i was furious and i let phil know it just do what i said he barked fuck you i told him <laughs> And then I chose not to go back on the floor for those final 1.8 seconds. Uh, Bill Cartwright and Johnny Bach urged me to change my mind. No chance. Phil put Pete Myers in to make the entry pass. The result, as they say, is history. Tony hit an 18-footer over Anthony Mason. Bulls 104, Knicks 102. And then it goes on like, hey, they won the game. But the locker room was like, guys were like sobbing, Aww. screaming at him. Like he had just completely lost the respect of this team. Mm -hmm. um, and he even says it. He says, like, I committed one of the worst sins a professional athlete can ever commit. I commit, I quit on the team. I felt horrible. Not for sitting out the final play. I will never feel horrible <laughs> for that. <laughs> for how the guys reacted. I worked hard for years to earn their trust, and now that trust was gone. Uh, there's only one thing for me to do. Apologize. And then he talks about how, like, okay, Michael's gone. This was my team now. My chance to be the hero. And up to this point, he's like, no, we're a team. Like, you know, we need to be passing the ball around to more and more people. And Phil gives that chance to Tony Kukoc. Are you serious? Tony was a rookie with no rings. Tony was also an olympian oh my <laughs> like he's an amazing basketball player and he made the shot so he mentions he's like you know in june to make matters worse in june i may have suggested that phil gave tony the shot because phil's racist tony's a white guy um and he says like let me set the record straight phil is not racist and i was thinking like oh in june like of that year june of 
2021 oh is what he's talking about. <laughs> so, this man. So I started look. Yeah, he's oh, it's nuts. Like so, I, I typed him in on YouTube. There are these great clips. There's this one of my favorite things I found on YouTube was this guy who just the title of the clip is like two and a half minutes of Scotty Pippen saying dumb shit. <laughs> I love those kinds and of compilations. Oh, it's great. It starts like it's just clips of Scotty Pippen and the voiceover comes in and he goes, Yo, I don't know why, but Scotty Pippen lately has been bugging. Here's two and a half minutes of him just saying dumb shit. <laughs> And one of the things was that was that interview, and it was 2021. And he explicitly says, because someone was like, you know, you're making it sound like you're, like you're accusing Phil of of racism. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I am. He's racist. Oh my god! <laughs> so now there's all these like reaction clips. There's one of Shaq, which is fantastic, because all these clips with Scottie Pippen, he has bottles of booze in the background. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's weird. Why is there bottles of booze in the background? So somebody interviewed Shaq, and they were like, hey, Scottie Pippen said this recently, and Shaq was like. All right. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Like Phil Jackson's not racist. It's ridiculous. He coached Michael Jordan, mm -hmm. for God's sake. Um, and I don't want to get between like a beef between a dude and another dude. But doesn't Scotty have a book coming out? And they're like, yeah. He's like, doesn't he also have like a his own brand of brandy coming out? Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah. He's like, okay. Well, you do the math. He's just trying to be inflammatory to drive yeah. sales. <laughs> yeah. And there and. Or a little bit earlier in that chapter, um, he he they the team was getting booed like they were screwing up royally. This is the year after Michael Jordan was playing. They're getting booed by their own fans, um, and he flicked off the crowd oh and he walked God. out. And in the press conference, and he was like, "Well, I've never seen them boo a white player. I've never seen them boo uh, Tony." And uh, it's like they booed the whole team. Yeah. <laughs> like, it def does it feel like it's just the whole book is just him playing the victim? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, big time. That's crazy time. to me because it also sounds like he's part of the problem. So yeah, oh yeah, yeah. So I two I two starred it and then I put it on my shelf because I'm never getting rid of this book. Yeah. I loved it. <laughs> it's a good conversation <laughs> piece. It is the, the the I guess the most disappointing part is he talks about his childhood, which is astounding like he grew up in in the middle of nowhere and his brother um when he was in middle school maybe early high school some bully punched him in the back like as hard as he could mm -hmm. um and he he ended up paralyzed oh so like he like with his mom his working mom they were, he was taking care of his brother um doing everything for his brother and then his dad had a stroke like he watched his dad have a stroke oh and his gosh. dad was pretty young um his dad's still alive and he was completely paralyzed so like he grew up in a home where they had two completely paralyzed people wow. um and ended up playing in the nba you know he wasn't he wasn't drafted he he played for these the, a college team that was like not known for for basketball players so that was great and then the rest of the book was the six championships just play by play which is great like it's fun to relive those games um i wasn't around for the first couple but like you know that's that's a major part of my childhood and then it's the end of the book. Mm -hmm. And the guy has like seven kids. He barely ever mentions his kids. Aww. One of his kids died recently. Aww. And he mentions this in like one sentence at the end of the book. I still miss that guy. And then he moved on to like his own accomplishments. And I was like, and that's fine. It's traumatic. I, yeah. I'm, I'm sure 
like he probably doesn't want to write about it but like you have seven kids <laughs> like you dedicated a page yeah <laughs> to them that's yeah. crazy oh my gosh she yeah. sounds like a like a character very very much so more than i more than i thought so he's definitely personality wise he's gone down a couple rungs mm. but just entertainment wise like he's He's gone up. Here's two minutes of Scott. Here's here's 274 pages of Scotty Pippen saying dumb shit. There's my review of, <laughs> of Unguarded by Scotty Pippen. I love that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I have uh, another book that I finished reading, and then I know you have a couple more, so I'll talk about this one, and then we can go into the other ones that you finished. So I also finished reading How to Blog for Profit Without Selling Your Soul by Ruth Saukup. And Great title. I'm like, I'm interested in blogging and I know that this book is very, very highly recommended and it has a lot of good stars on, or has a lot of good ratings on Goodreads. So I was like, okay, I'll check it out. Um, like it's not super helpful. I mean, like a lot of what she says is common sense and it's a lot of her talking about how she built her blog from nothing to a seven-figure company which is amazing she doesn't really tell you how to do that she talks a lot about um oh like i've worked with these bloggers and helped them do the same thing and you could also do the same thing if you would buy my course which is many hundreds of dollars and i was like well that kind of sucks um and so i already bought your book (laughs) (laughs) it's like it's very just surface level she mentions some of like search engine optimization which is just doing blogs and using content to rank higher on google um yeah which is like the main point of having a blog you know and she mentions like some of how to find keywords, but really not, there's really not much information in the book at all. It's very much like, it's a pep talk of, hey, these people did this and you can do it too. So I wouldn't recommend it. Do you, a book that got me into running and now I'm just lethargic all the time, but (laughs) (laughs) when I was running a book years and years and years ago that got me into running was called it was called The Courage to Start. It's by this guy whose nickname is The Penguin because he's always in last place and he, and he waddles. <laughs> um, and it was one of those inspirational, like, like I did this, you know, I was overweight and I smoked and, and you can do this too. Um, and that served enough inspiration to me to like, like running really kind of turned my, my health around. Um, but there was no practical advice in it outside of like, ah, run to the end of your driveway. Next day, run a little bit more. Um, do you feel like, like that's the purpose of the book is like, it's a kick in the pants and then you can really go read up on like more in depth blogging optimization. It feels like it's a primer for you to buy her course. Uh, That's what it feels like. Yeah. So. That's shitty. Yeah. Well, it was fine. I, I was just, I was a little um disappointed because it had a really it had a really um good rating on goodreads but mm, not for me i'm coming to find that you can't <laughs> can't rely on those this is true very often this is true do you well, i'll ask you a question about blogging do you feel like the tr- this sounds like it's very traditional kind of blogging mm-hmm. um do you feel like that time has passed i don't think so and let me tell you why i'm gonna use my marketing brain 
for okay. for this. Sell it to me. Okay. So, okay. The main way that you get traffic to your website is from Google. And you want to be in the first three or four listings um, on whatever someone's searching for. So let's say you have a blog about penguins. And if someone types in penguins in Google, you want to be the first one, two, three, or four listings on that the first page so that you can get more website traffic. Well, how do you get more website traffic? If you have to prove to Google that your website is going to be helpful to someone who's searching for penguins. So that has a lot to do with um, stuffing, well, not keyword stuffing because that's actually a bad practice, but like putting keywords into your website and into your blog content um, for and, and that'll help the, the spiders who that read your page understand mm-hmm. that your content will be helpful to these people who are searching for these certain keywords. Maybe I'm not explaining that very, very well, but that's kind of how it works. So when you have to write the SES, right? Like you have to specifically write something for that, right? Um, no. So how a spider and this is going way in depth, but how a spider reads your page <laughs> is that it goes to your homepage and then you can put something, you can tell Google, hey, read, this is how you read my website. You go from the homepage and then you go to this page and then you go to this page and it goes through in not that, like a second, it'll read your page. Um, so you can tell Google that, like how to read your page, but it's up to you to put the right keywords onto your website and use the right keywords in your um, blog posts so that Google can read that and then use that information to uh, understand what, like how, like what your website is about and how it will be helpful to other people. We don't know how Google exactly works. We guess because Google is very secretive about how it works. So this, this is what, my marketing professors tell me how it works. So back to your question, is marketing or is blogging dead? No, content marketing, which is also known as blogging, is actually a major pillar in marketing. Like that's a huge, that's a huge way to get more traffic to your website is writing content. So I gather everything you just told me was way more valuable than the entirety of that book. <laughs> yep, yep, because she didn't really okay. go into into like how to find keywords or anything like that. She was just like, okay, yeah, you have to use keywords on your website and in your blogs. <laughs> well, how do you do that? Like, how do you find... <laughs> yeah. And if anyone's wondering how you find keywords, a good resource is answerthepublic.com. That's how you can find out what people are searching for, and then you can use those keywords on your website and in your blogs. <laughs> <laughs> your website's just gonna say porn 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 <laughs> <laughs> number one hit <laughs> that's actually Maybe called that's keywords. Key successful blogging you buy up all of the typos that are slightly off from like pornhub <laughs> and then redirect all the traffic to you exactly no but if yeah. you use too many that's my book that i'm gonna write it's gonna sell gangbusters <laughs> oh, yeah it's gonna sell many copies but it's actually called keyword stuffing if you just write if you just write one word many different times on your website or like any, your blog or anywhere, um, Google will recognize that and then it'll actually downrank you. So Okay. Well, that makes sense because you're like trying too hard. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Do you ever read a blog where you're like, oh, I know what you're doing here? <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's, it's a very fine line that you have to walk. So yeah, sometimes people, well, let's say like someone is, and this is an example that I've seen, someone's trying to rank for the word coffee. So they just put, they write extra sentences with the word coffee in it. And then it starts to yeah. just be a terrible user experience. I'm like, okay, <laughs> yeah, get, wrap it up here. Get to the point. Yeah. <laughs> it's just synergistic management solutions, synergistic management yeah, solutions. exactly. Is that why recipe blogs are so goddamn long when yes. I just want to get to the recipe? Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> because blogs that are um, about 1,000 to – or 1,200 to 1,500 words will rank better on Google. So they try to make them longer so that they can rank higher on Google. Yeah. Whew. Quick plug, budget bites. B-Y-T-E-S. Um, great recipes and her write-ups are like a paragraph. Ooh, it's great. I'll have to check I it out. Only, I will only go to that website because I'm like, you won't give me a story about your grandma's mac and cheese before <laughs> I get to your mac and cheese recipe. Okay. We'll have to put that in the show notes. I'll, I'll have to remember yeah. to put that in there. Budget bites. Wow. All right. See, we learn things. We learn all kinds of things. And now I feel like I actually kind of know what I'm talking about with marketing. Because normally <laughs> I just talk to other marketing people and I'm like, you yeah. know so much more than I do. I don't know anything. But I know some <laughs> things. So there we yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. You always know more than you think you know. Awesome. Well, my next set of books is not going to be as informative. But they were fun. Um, Animosity. Remember I read Animosity Volume 1? Mm -hmm. Well, I have read Animosity Volumes 2 and 3. I am in the middle of 4, Ooh. so I will finish that soon. And then uh, 5 is on its way at a deep discount to my comic book store. And then there's a 6 volume. And then I'll be done. Then I just have to do the offshoot. I'm finding, now that I've combed through my, my yearly reads, I, I start the year with like a huge comic book series. Um, Animosity's been great. So it's got, it's Animosity, it's by Marguerite Bennett, uh, and the artist is Raphael Del, De La Tour. And it is about one day, and they have no idea why, all of the, an it's called The Awakening. Um, all of the animals on the planet, including like insects, suddenly become remarkably intelligent, as intelligent as humans. Um, and surprise, they're pissed <laughs> at their treatment. Um, and they basically just go on a killing spree. Uh, and that's where this that's where this starts. It follows a girl. Um, I'm blanking on her name. Jesse. Follows an 11-year-old girl named Jesse, who is in New York City at the time. And New York City just goes bananas. Um, and her her dog, her five-year-old dog, um, purebred. I don't know what specific type of dog it is. Um, he is the one to lead her out of the city. Um, there's a role reversal. It's a really sweet role reversal of like he wakes up and realizes like, oh, my life is the purpose of my life is to serve this person. I love this human being with all of my heart mm. and soul. And I'm a purebred dog, which means like I'm going to die soon, even though I'm five years old. Oh, no. Um, so like I have to take care. This is my daughter. Like it's very sweet. It's very touching. Um, and that and that role reverses. She's been the caretaker of this dog. Now the dog is the caretaker of Jesse, and his goal is like her parents have died. He needs to lead her to the coast. It's dystopian, so I always have to get to the coast for some reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They have a reason in this one, um, which is her estranged 
half brother lives in San Francisco. Okay. Uh, and I don't believe they know this, but you know this. Um, San Francisco is like an, an enclave where like humans and animals are coexisting and, and, and things are okay in San Francisco, or at least they think it's okay. I don't know if it is or not. Um, so that's, that's where they are headed. And then each volume follows the, a different story arc where like the, the first one is escaping New York city. Um, cause there's this animal military now called the animilitary oh <laughs> and they need to get through the animilitary, um, to get to the next spot. And then the next spot is, um, they, there's, it's a creepy, creepy volume where they run into this they keep describing it as this this dragon this dragon has been kidnapping these animals and it turns out to be a bearded vulture which is a real animal um that feasts specifically on the bones of animals and it's it's been enlisting these animals to like creep up on people and kidnap them so like they convince jesse that her parents are talking to her um and kidnap her and some of the other animals um and since it feasts on bones like they describe it as like he he has this legend behind him where they're like there's this dragon and we have to get away from him and he has a belly full of fire and it's like his stomach acid which just like eats away at at people so it's really gross but it's also like Super scary, mm-hmm. super suspenseful, very creepy, like horror vibe for the second volume, which doesn't maintain throughout the series. The third volume is about the bees, which I thought was going to be really cheesy, but the artwork sells it. The artwork is amazing. They basically, they come across this dam and the dam is completely holed up by, it's covered in a beehive. It's covered in this huge beehive. And there's this small farming enclave nearby where they keep kidnapping bees and and turning them into slaves Mm. because the bees are no longer working for humans so like plants aren't being fertilized they're going to run out of food they can't eat animals because animals will kill them oh my gosh this is so So they've been kidnapping these bees yeah yeah and then um so they the the group of animals that's with Jesse trying to get her to the coast comes across these bees and the bees act as one organism and they surround all of the animals and they're basically like they kidnapped our queen and you need to go get the queen oh <laughs> like so we're going to keep these animals here and you are going to go <laughs> and figure this out and bring our queen back to us and that's the setup for this this I almost said episode but this <laughs> volume uh, it's amazing it's really cool there's this there's so many cool aspects about it i kind of in the back of my head want to hate it because it's sa- on paper it sounds so cheesy but the artwork the the relationship between the dog and jesse is just astounding the questions it raises of like one of the characters that um falls along with them is 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 a vegan he's like a lifelong vegan and he tries to sell that as a selling point and they're and the animals are basically like shut the fuck up you're just a poser like you're not you didn't actually do anything to help us out so just just quiet quiet you so my question is my question about this book is would it be would it work if it wasn't a graphic novel would it be too cheesy i think it would come off as cheesy because again in the back of my head i want to be like it's going to be cheesy but it's the visual element i don't know if it would start cheesy i think the relationship between sandor sandor is the dog's name and jesse would really shine through but i don't think you can illustrate the bees 
the way it should be illustrated. I think you could I think you could even do that the second volume with the with the dragon that with the fire in its belly. I think that could be really effective, but um I just don't see a way to make the bees not dumb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just pro because it's beautiful. Um I mean, there are scenes where they're inside the hive, and this hive is miles and miles long. Um, it's gorgeous. It's frightening. Um, it's, yeah, I, I, I don't see how you could how you could do it. I mean, I'm sure a top-notch writer could, could do it. And Marguerite Bennett is great, but mm-hmm. it really shines in graphic novel form. I also feel like we have a lot of good content for... October time <laughs> when that comes around like Verity's very creepy this is very yeah. creepy so I feel like in October we're gonna have a lot of creepy books to recommend yeah. so I love that for us <laughs> we'll do our Halloween recommendations yeah did you have anything else to talk about for this segment no I d- honestly I don't know that I have anything for currently reading because that's also kind of currently reading because I'm on the third volume <laughs> yeah I don't really have anything to talk about for currently reading either. I feel, I may feel a reading slump coming on, which sucks. No. Um, I'm like stuck between, do I get through more marketing books? Cause I have so many of those. Or do I read a really fun book? But I'm like, I don't know if I'm in the mood for a fun book right now. I don't know. I've been thinking about reading um, a Court of Silver Flames, which has to do with A Court of Thorns and Roses. It's kind of a spinoff of that by Sarah J. Mass. It has to do with like two side characters and their kind of love story. It's long. It's like 800 pages long. So I'm like, I want to read it, but it's also 800 pages long. So I don't know. <laughs> I love that you're like, I feel a reading slump coming on. Maybe I'll read an 800-page fantasy novel to avoid it. <laughs> but I do love fantasy, though. So that's where yeah. my mind went. Of like, And I love anything by Sarah J. Mass. I think she's a great writer. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. Yeah, go with one of your favorites. Or did ah, I may be misremembering. Did you pick up a graphic novel at some point that you haven't started? Yeah. There, um, oh, gosh. It was, Did you pick up My Friend Dahmer? Was that one of the ones he picked up? No, it was the okay. one about the conspiracy theories, and then if people believe the <gasps> conspiracy theories, then they actually happen. And then yeah, there I read was that one. one other one, too, by the same author who wrote Carmen, I think. Yeah, um, that's a different author. That's Guillaume March. Um, you're thinking of Department of Truth, James the IV. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I got, I got two. So I got yeah. that one, and then I got another one by Guillaume March yeah you're not gonna feel good reading Department of Truth but you're not gonna be able to put it down okay Okay. yeah it's also like (laughs) Like, it's not that long so no could probably speed read through that oh it's yeah it's amazing it's astounding it's best comic on the on the market right now if you if you feel like you're gonna hit a slump check that one out although you might hit a slump after that because it's so good but okay stave it off for a while I think volume two is out or about to come out so Okay, sweet, sweet. Yeah, I'm trying to get through. What I would love to do is read 52 books this year. So that's one a week, obviously. And I'm like, if I get in a reading slump, it's not going to happen. So I just right. I have to avoid it at all costs. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, we don't have anything to talk about for currently reading then. And we can go into our book recommendation question. So um, we had someone ask, I have been enjoying doorstopper-sized books this year, and I'm hoping <laughs> you can that. help me find more. I'd love an adult fantasy novel, preferably written by a woman. And I'll keep talking here. So speaking of A Court of Thorns and Roses, that's my recommendation. Well, I have three <laughs> I have three books for this one, but the first one is A Court of Thorns and Roses by Sarah J. Mass. It's a super popular book. I'm sure people have already read this, heard about it. However... One of my favorites, so I'm going to recommend it here. Um, it follows the main character. Her name is Farah, and she grows up in a human land that's just bordering fairy lands. And fairies cannot cross into human lands, and humans cannot go into fairy lands. However, um, the it it's kind of like a Hunger Games situation in that Farah has two sisters and a dad that's kind of worthless so she has to go hunting so she goes hunting really near these fairy lands and one day she comes across a deer and the deer is being stalked by a wolf and she's like well i gotta eat so she kills the wolf and takes the deer and it turns out that the wolf was actually a fairy so then the king of or the high lord is what they're called of one of the courts um in the fairylands comes and is like i have to avenge my dude because you will kill them so <laughs> he direct takes, quote from the novel exactly yeah so he takes her to his fairylands and why do i keep calling it fairyland that just sounds weird okay he takes her to his court he is the high lord of the spring court and she ends up getting involved in this very political scheme that's been going on for millennia. And she's kind of like the chosen person who's going to break the spell that's been put on the the fairies. Um, and then there's a lot of like, it's very twisty. Like you think that one character is the hero in the story and then it kind of flips and he becomes the villain and another person becomes kind of like the hero love interest um i thought it was super twisty super turny i loved it it's one of my favorites it is technically classified as a young adult book but there's a lot of explicit sex in it so i would say it's more like adulty if i like for me Young adult feels like 14, 15 year olds should read it. Definitely, I don't think that 14, 15 year olds <laughs> should read this series. So it feels more adult. And that's why I'm recommending it for this question. What is young adult <laughs> literature now? I guess it's very subjective. Yeah. I th I've told you before about that Colbert interview with John Green. Mm -hmm. He's like, you wrote a best-selling young adult novel, which I assume means people read it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's like, that does seem to be what young adult literature is. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Are there, I don't want to get into the nitty gritty of it, but like there's explicit sex in it, like compared to Verity. Are there some kind of barriers that would make it young adult versus, are they younger characters Okay. Well, all right. Because I know so, for John John Green, like 
there is some explicit sex in some of his books, but it's very purposely like looking for Alaska is one where it's like it's purposely made awkward and almost not sexual. Like she gives a blowjob on a toothpaste tube. No, there's an actual blowjob in in looking for Alaska, oh, but is it's there? yeah, yeah, oh. but it's presented in a way where it's like, oh, that was not fun to read. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, like, it has that awkwardness of of being a young adult to it, which I guess makes it pass for. I, I mean, tons of people have taken issue with that, mm-hmm. um, but I can see where he's coming from with like that's what makes this a young adult book as opposed to adult. Is there anything in there that would like? classify it more as young adult than adult um no i'm just thinking about one of the scenes in it where Feyre likes to paint and so Mm. one of the her her love interest gets a bunch of paint and then they like spill the paint on a canvas (laughs) and like have sex on it and (laughs) like it, it that sounds like a dumb thing that kids would do so yeah <laughs> that young adults would do it just yeah i don't you know it seems very close to like what happens in verity in and in a corner of thorns and roses like there's there's a line there but it's a very fine line to yeah. walk it's 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 close I guess what I'm getting at is, is there any meaning in classifying anything as young adults versus adult? Or is there just books? <laughs> I just guess, fiction? I guess there's just books. I mean, like, when I was younger, I, and then we talked about this before, when I was younger, um, books just, they didn't really touch on very heavy things. Mm-hmm. Like, I used to read books about horses, a girl and her horse who lived in Hawaii, and I read, like, 26 books from the same series, and I used to yeah. read, like, the saddle club and all of that stuff i feel like with the like i feel like kids nowadays have more easy access to the internet and they are very they're more readily getting information about all of the like bad stuff that's happening in the world and they're right. more like it's very easy to access porn and like things like that i feel like kids grow up quicker nowadays than so like so I guess maybe that's a I guess maybe that's a um, like why books are more adult adult feeling even if they're supposed right. to be for younger kids because kids have more access to this kind of stuff. So don't talk down to them, like you know. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I also wonder how much of it is. Sorry, I'm getting into I'm getting us into the weeds, but like I wonder how much of it is marketing. You mm. know, like maybe a young adult marketed book sells better than. An adult marketed fantasy Yeah, book. I would be interested in looking into that. I don't know. That's a good question. I guess That's young a... people who are young adults, like, they have more time to read than people who are adulty. So I would assume that it would sell better if it's young adult. And young adult's broad. I mean, that's that could be anything from 12 to 18, I mm-hmm. would think. I don't know. Interesting. We should do a study on this. And there's a new there's a new genre. Well, I shouldn't say that it's new because I don't know how new it is, but it feels new to me. It's new adult, so it's like the eighteen to twenty two kind of. Interesting. And then adult is after that. I don't love that. I don't love that. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. 
I'll I'll ponder on that for a few weeks. We okay, can, we can talk about it. But I just don't know if I love the like you have to read because it's kind of like telling people like you you need to read books with characters the same age as you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't I don't like that. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. All right. Sorry, person who asked for a recommendation here. <laughs> <laughs> I have a recommendation though. Go ahead. Um, I've recommended it before, Jonathan Strange and, and Mr. Norell by Susanna Clark. Um, I was hesitant to talk about this again because I've talked about it, I think, two or three times. But I went on Goodreads and I discovered that I reviewed this. I wrote a full review of Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell. What on March third? Uh, well, I gave it five stars and okay. I reviewed it on March third, two thousand and twelve. <laughs> I'm so excited for this. <laughs> which was a long time ago and remember i was talking about the footnotes and how much i love the footnotes mm-hmm. apparently 2012 me hated the footnotes okay. <laughs> a little recollection of this i'll try to read this like i'm not reading it um so considering it took me nearly four months to finish this expansive novel it'd be hard not to review it um it's not that i'm a slow reader it is rather this book covers so many characters lives over nearly 10 years worth of time that i was constantly putting this book down and forgetting about it also i was working two terrible jobs at the time um that being said this is one of the best novels i've ever read i didn't say that i said i've read in a very long time um and it certainly holds a place in my top 10 favorite fantasy novels clark's success at creating a believable fantasy world is admirable it's probably the reason for the expansive nature of the book after reading it i can certainly see how much of the excess could have been cut to make for a quirky fun fantasy novel however if that were so i don't think i would have adored this book as much as i did Her prose attempts to force the reader to believe the story is true. She weaves in actual historic events and characters amid her product of fiction. The main storyline centers around the title characters. Gilbert Norell is a scholarly magician attempting to bring English magic back to the world. In doing so, he attempts to help the English army fight against the French. Norell is crafted to be a dull character who is counterbalanced by the young, handsome, and altogether enthusiastic Jonathan Strange, who eventually becomes Norell's pupil. Their views on English magic differ in many ways, but they mainly disagree on the use of fairy magic. Norell finds it dangerous and unethical in modern society, a viewpoint solidified by Norell's own summoning of a fairy to save a knight's wife from death. This act eventually becomes the main conflict of the novel as the fairy begins to run amok unbeknownst to the protagonists until his antics begin to cause major problems in the life of Jonathan Strange, causing Strange to resort to a mad form of magic in order to save the lives of several loved ones. Um, so I said, although I love the, reading this book and I've kept my synopsis purposely vague so as not to spoil anything, there are several qualms. My qualms with the footnotes, the footnotes are very extensive. Um, sometimes there's full storylines that, um, that are like multi-page oh, wow. footnotes, which like really fleshes out the world. Uh, but I guess I forgot about this. It, it, it weirdly clashes with it's not written in an academic style, but mm-hmm. the footnotes kind of are. And just having the footnotes there in and of itself and having it be historical in addition to fantasy has this weird incongruity to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but not enough for me not to adore this book. I would read this book again. Um, clearly, I haven't read it since 2012, so I'm probably due for a reread at some point. Um, love it. And it's huge. It's a doorstopper for sure. Yeah, I know that for sure because I have it sitting on my my yeah. bookshelves. It's got to be. I mean, it's got to be over a thousand pages, isn't it? Um, the hardcover. I seem to remember being around eight hundred. Well, I can tell you, I have it up right now. A thousand and six. <laughs> in paperback, it's a thousand and six. 
nice. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's definitely going to be a, a feat to get through that whole yeah. thing. It's so unique to, I don't know. Okay. I'm not a huge, huge fantasy person, so I don't know how unique it is, but I, I am unaware of other books that have such a grounding in history. Like it's historical fiction, but it's fantasy based. Mm -hmm. So like you have a grasp of like, oh, this is 1806, like England is fighting with France. Um, you have a general understanding of the world, but there's so much mystery to it because like you also, there's an alternate history here that you don't know about. Mm -hmm. I've the only book that I've ever read with footnotes that was fiction is you feel it just below the ribs and as we know I loved yeah. that story that was like the next 1984 for me so I I think that I 1985 gosh, I need, is that what I said no no oh. I'm sorry I was making a bad joke okay I was like oh I don't know if I got it wrong okay um Anyway, I feel like I would like the footnotes aspect of it because I loved the footnotes aspect in You Can Feel It Below the Rib. You feel it just below the ribs. And now I feel like I need to read Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell. And I'm like, I don't. It's, it's just so long. Okay, either I, read, long. either I read A Court of Silver Flames or Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell. I need our listeners to weigh in and message me on our instagram at let these days podcast there you go i'm gonna vote for jonathan strange because i just i have a distinct vision of i bought a copy at goodwill and i would carry it with me on the south side of pittsburgh which is like the college end of town where we lived because it was crappy and cheap um so i just carried this tome around with me and would, <laughs> like stop for a cup of coffee and read a couple pages and then you know move on and you can also use it as a weapon if needed. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> if you get, there were a lot of muggings in that area and stabbings, so oh, it gosh. certainly could have protected me if I needed. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, that's kind of scary. Okay. Yeah. So I have, I have two more books for this, uh, this question. I'm also recommending, and this will come as no shock to everybody, The City We Became by N.K. <laughs> Jemison. Uh, once again, this is a book that takes place in New York City, and the main premise of it is that every city has to be born, and that the city picks a hero to keep it safe while it's in its most compromised situation or position. So... Usually, there's only one hero that's chosen, but this time, New York City chooses six. There's one for each of the five boroughs of New York City, and then there's one to represent New York City as a whole. And these are just everyday people off the street. Like, one day, they just kind of wake up with these extra powers, and uh, they use these powers to fight the woman in white who is trying to keep the city from being born because for some reason she hates cities. We don't know why she hates cities, um, but I'm hoping that there's going to be a second book that comes out and then we get a little more explanation for this. Um, and so these, these six people are spread out through New York City and they have to come together and find each other so that they can fight off the woman in white once and for all. And I really liked it. And I also liked like it I liked the fantasy aspect of it I've never read a book like this before and I also liked that N.K. Jemison weaved in a lot of social justice themes so she talks a lot about racism and police brutality and things like that so five out of five would read again and it's pretty long too so 
I'm waiting for the day where somebody asks for a recommendation for something that is complete opposite genre, and you're like, "City We Became," <laughs> nonfiction. City We Became. Yeah. I would like a textbook uh, of. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So I will also talk about the last one that I have, and this is actually one that I have not read. I have it sitting on my bookshelf but I've heard really good things about it. And that is The Priory of the Orange Tree by Samantha Samantha Shannon. Have you heard of this one before? I have not. I like the title though. It is huge. It's like a thousand pages. And since I haven't read it before, I will read you the Goodreads synopsis. It says, A world divided, a queendom without an heir, an ancient enemy awakens. The house of Berenthnet has ruled Ineas for a thousand years. Still unwed, Queen Sabran Ninth must conceive a daughter to protect her realm from destruction, but assassins are getting closer to her door. Iad Durian is an outsider at court. Though she has risen to the position of lady-in-waiting, she is loyal to a hidden society of Magus? Magus? Iad keeps a watchful eye on Sabran, secret, secretly protecting her with forbidden magic. Across the Dark Sea, Tane has trained to be a dragon rider since she was a child, but is forced to make a choice that could see her life unravel. Meanwhile, the divided East and West refuse to parley, and forces of chaos are rising from their sleep. Um, I've heard that this is... Either, like, either people love it or they hate it because it has a lot going on. There's a lot of different um, storylines weaved around of each around each other and things like that. Um, I have heard good things about it, and I have heard, like, eh, it's, it should be split up into different uh, books. And this book is a standalone novel, and, but I know that Samantha Shannon has expressed interest in making it into or like coming out with a a sequel so we're not really sure what's going to happen with that um so i would check out other reviews of it um and then see if you would like to read that i was gonna say it sounds it sounds very complex Mm -hmm. sounds good but it sounds very complex it's definitely something that you have to use all your big brain power for i think yeah One of those fantasy novels you read the description like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm going to have to draw a map on the back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well. Cool. That brings us to the end of our episode. Thanks, everybody, so much for listening. We appreciate you. And if you would like a personalized reading recommendation, go to our website, withthesedayspodcast.com, and fill out the quick Google form. We'll take you two minutes. And if you know anyone who would like a personalized reading recommendation, maybe they don't know what to read next. Maybe they have this one book that they really liked and they need something just like that or maybe they're looking for something in a specific genre tell them to go to our website and fill out this book recommendation form we will get them banging book recommendations i promise that's a jessica guarantee and we will be back next week with another episode bye internet people